before I jump into the um, message, uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Mitchell, and I'm lead pastor here. Thanks for coming to Antioch this morning. Um, we are, like Lindsay just said, we're doing a media fast, so go ahead and pull that card out again real quick, and um, let me uh, explain a couple things. I, um, yeah, just glance at it as I'm talking about it, just kind of so you understand what's going on um, throughout the week, but um, yeah, it's so helpful for us to have different pauses into things that are normal rhythms for us, like Lindsay said, so that we just get filled up with the Lord. And we go deeper in him. And, you know, <laughs> this is so funny. For those of you that are, I don't know, maybe 35 and older, you remember a day when you didn't have this all day, every day around you. Anybody remember that besides me? You know, before cell phones were around? Anyways, <laughs> um, I know we're like old as dinosaurs. But um, there was a day where it was abnormal for 24-7 access in your pocket to endless information and entertainment. Woo, Lord, take us back in Jesus' name. Anyways, okay, so it, it's so helpful for us to get out of uh, some of these norms because it really clears our mind, and I, I'm making a big assumption right now, but I'm assuming that most of you in this room want to wholeheartedly follow the Lord, that most of you in this room are passionate about this, serious about your faith. Now, I bet you there's a few of you that you're brand new to church or someone invited you. Or you're still thinking about God, whether or not you believe in him or not. And that's totally fine. Everyone's welcome. But um, I'm going to talk to the majority and just say that I think all of us want to go all in with Jesus. Um, but then op just oftentimes there are distractions that get in the way of our wholehearted, undivided attention to the Lord. And media is definitely one of those big ones. <clears throat> and um, I had Larry do a little bit of research this week, and he sent me a couple um, facts. Let me just read these off. If you have questions, ask Larry. Uh, but he says the, uh, the research he did says the average person in the U.S. spends about three and a half hours a day on their phone. And according to different studies, taking even a one-week one break may significantly reduce loneliness, anxiety, and depression. A 2020 study showed that the use of social media caused sleep disturbances and sleep difficulties. <clears throat> In 2018, a study showed that if you take a break for one week from social media, it reduces stress. Um, and um, another study said that it increased, uh, had a significant increase by taking one week off in mental well-being, social connectedness, and then last but not least, it says, he said this, research demonstrates regular social media use is changing our brain structure, our brain function, and our cognitive development. It is affecting our attention capacity and the way we store and process information and how we respond socially and emotionally. And what I'm not saying is that all media is bad, all social media is bad. God can totally redeem anything, and I hear of plenty of testimonies of God using media outlets and social media to bring him glory. So I'm not saying it's all bad, but what I am saying is redirecting us to, hey, when we take a break, oftentimes it clears up our system a little bit, re-engages us with God, gets us out of funks, and man, we all need that, amen? Uh, we all, I do, I need that in different parts of my life. And so we're doing just this five-day push. On the slide, here's a couple ideas about how to engage in this. First is a couple things um, that you could do in regards to taking a break. One, you could turn your phone off all week. Believe it or not, the world will still go on. <laughs> and you'll be okay. Um, second one, you can delete all social media apps this week and only use your phone for communication purposes, just calling and texting. 
Um, and another one, you could take a break from all TV, movies, YouTube, audiobooks, and other forms of entertainment that I'm unaware of, but I know there's hundreds more. <laughs> I just don't know them. So those are the ones I knew. Okay? Now, like Lindsay said, we're not just saying no to something. We are saying yes to something else. We're filling up that time that we would be doing, doing this stuff with other things that are going to draw, draw us closer to the Lord and draw us closer to other people. So here's a couple ideas uh, up here of what you could do. And yes, I've in, ensured we had those emojis at the end, all right? Uh, but you can, um, you know, get a, try, set a goal of trying to get at least one hour alone with the Lord each day. Uh, you can come to the prayer room during a lunch break or class break. Uh, during the day, but then also every night of the week, we're having different prayer and worship sets led by our life group leaders. Then culminating to Friday night, we're having a big worship night here in the sanctuary. So come to one of those or multiple of those. Um, you also notice on the back of this card, we're going to be reading, our church is going to be reading through the book of Genesis uh, this week. It's 50 chapters, that's 10 chapters a day. All right? But it's not that much if you're not on your phone as much. Uh, it'll you know, take you some time. But I want to encourage you to do this, and one cool element of this, we were trying to process through what can we read together, invite people into. I think Genesis would be a great book, especially in light of all the things going on in Israel and the Middle East right now, because it gives you a biblical understanding of God's heart for the nation of Israel, and it just talks about the initial covenant God made with Abraham, and it's just important to have the biblical backstory. Um, and so anyways, that's why we chose Genesis. It's going to be really helpful, and there's just a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, and then, yeah, you can hang out with your friends more than usual. You can exercise a few times more than usual. Get swole this week. Come on, that'd be fun. Uh, anyways, maybe we'll do some group push-ups in these prayer meetings during the day. Anyways, some of you are like, I'm not coming. Okay, y'all good? Let me just, uh, there'll be time at the end of this service to um, process this a little bit with God as we respond of kind of how you can engage with this. But let me just pray right now that the Holy Spirit would lead you guys. Really, we want you to respond to the Holy Spirit and how you engage with this. Uh, but let me pray. So, Lord, just ask that you would open our hearts just to, to say yes to whatever you want us to do, whatever this week looks like. Help us take it seriously. Really consider this before you. And, Lord, regardless of how much we engage or how little, Lord, would you get so much glory from it and would you produce so much good fruit in us. God, we want to be more like you. We want to be more free, more whole. So God, use this media fast for that purpose. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. All right, guys. <clears throat> well, hey, we're going to jump into part two of a series that I've titled really clearly and bluntly, Sexuality. All right. If you're a brand new guest, welcome, guys. <laughs> we talk about sex sometimes. Actually, this is like the first series we've ever done on this. But, um, and just quick disclaimer, um, I, I mean, I, I mean, you might hear I sound a little congested uh, dealing with a couple of respiratory things, and I also coached two basketball games yesterday, so it was a lot of yelling. Uh, no, uh, but uh, so I just I want to comment on that because it might affect my tone, and I just want you to know I'm not mad. I've just got some respiratory stuff, all right? So I just want to clarify that. I'm not mad. Look at your neighbor say, Mitchell's not mad. All right. Sometimes it gets mad, though. All right, moving on. Okay, why are we doing this series on sexuality? Uh, one is because it's important for me uh, to, as I pastor this church, to make sure we are deeply, everybody say deeply, 
deeply rooted in biblical understanding about different topics, okay? Not lightly, not casually, but deeply rooted biblically on different topics. Another reason we're doing it is because there is so much cultural confusion and culture, I've said this last week, is not neutral on this topic. There are messages that are happening all the time about what you're supposed to think about sexuality and what is good or not good sexuality. And so I wanna make sure that we in the church are speaking clearly biblical truth about this because you are hearing things all the time. And then thirdly, Ephesians 5.3 is a verse that I've been praying really a lot this year for our church uh, because one of our focuses this year has been praying for sexual purity. And it, it says this in Ephesians 5.3, it says, uh, Paul's like, hey, let sexual immorality not even be named among you because that's what's fitting for the people of God. And so I'm just kind of build this in before the year runs out because it's something I've been praying a lot for for our church is that we have healthy sexuality, biblical sexuality, that we are walking in wholeness and freedom in this area. And listen, I understand it's an uncomfortable topic to bring up, right? All right. Yes. Okay, I'm going to say the word sexuality multiple times with a microphone in front of all of you. It's uncomfortable sometimes, but if we don't address it, we don't go there sometimes within the church, then how else are we going to have healthy conversations and dialogue about this? How else are we going to grow? How else are we going to get the help that we need unless we talk about it? And so this, I want to encourage you, this is not something, of course, there's appropriate things and inappropriate things to share in certain settings and with certain people. So I understand that, but I want to make sure that it's not something that we feel like we can never talk about and address because it will keep us bound. It'll keep us stuck. We need help. We need to bring this up to the light. Okay, uh, and then I said this last week, but I want to remind you guys who I am speaking to for whatever reason. That really stood out to many of you, so I'm going to just say it again. I am not preaching this message to the world. I'm not preaching this to cultural things. I'm not preaching this in a political setting, so I am not concerned about those outward things. I am preaching to believers that want to follow Jesus. Okay, and if you're here, again, and you're not in that category, that's okay, but use this as like, you know, an outside looking in, like, hmm, I wonder what they believe about this, what they're thinking. And so another way to say that is the way that I would sit down and talk to a transgender person that works at Starbucks that I know and I've interacted with multiple times, I'm talking about a few different things in a few different ways, okay? Um, and I'm not addressing, hey, let's submit ourselves to the word of God. Let's give ourselves fully this. Let's not compromise on what Jesus said is true, okay? That's what I'm calling you guys to as the church, but I'm addressing different things when I'm talking to someone that's at a different place and not sure if they want to follow Jesus. You guys tracking with me? <clears throat> All right. So I showed um, a couple slides. Let me just remind you from last week. And the way to go about communicating this in a biblical way is these two words I'm using called clarity and compassion. Everybody say clarity. clarity. Say compassion. compassion. So we want to address this topic with clarity we're, I'm not trying to be political correct on anything. We want to be really clear because the Bible is very clear. You need to approach the Bible with an agenda if you want to create ideas about anything other than a man and a woman being joined together in a covenant for life as the only healthy sexual approach in the Bible. You have to come to the Bible with an agenda to get it to say something else. Um, and so I want to be very clear with that, but we want to be very compassionate because and it's similar to the phrase speaking the truth in love, very compassionate because I'm not going to be hitting people with the Bible. It's like wherever we find ourselves in the midst of our journey to find sexual wholeness, no matter how broken we might feel, Jesus would look at you with compassion and would welcome you. 
And he would take you along <laughs> on a journey of wholeness and repentance and victory and freedom. And in when you stumble, he'll pick you back up again. But he is leading you somewhere. He's leading you into truth. He's leading you into freedom. He's leading you into God's way of sexuality. This makes sense? So he's leading you somewhere. It's not just, you know, in the circle of whatever feels good and whatever feels right. And so we want to be clear and we want to be compassionate. I showed you this list uh, last week, a lovely list, something you don't want to take a picture of, but you could if you want. Uh, here is a long list of a whole bunch of different versions of sexual brokenness or dysfunction or sin. Uh, what I think I said last week, I want to clarify something. What I said in general about this phrase last week was that this is all an example of sexual sin and immorality. And I would say, yes, Every single one of them are. There's one exception maybe I would adjust. Uh, fifth one down on the left, same-sex attraction. Let me just talk about that for a second. Um, I would put that more in the category of a temptation that some people feel more prone towards. And as long as they're not agreeing with it and uh, engaging in a homosexual lifestyle but can resist the temptation that for whatever reason they feel prone to, then praise God, that's a victory. I've heard so many amazing testimonies. I've discipled multiple guys that have really struggled with that. Maybe it's related to their upbringing or different things they faced. Maybe it's just something that's just different wired in them, but they have resisted and said, I want Jesus' way, and I don't find same-sex marriage or this or relationships in the Bible, and so though I might feel a certain way, I'm going to go the other way. It is an amazing testimony that I've heard over and over again. There's so many guys that have ministries that, are, um, that came out of this lifestyle and aren't saying that, oh, all of a sudden my attraction is No, but I am saying no to what naturally feels good and right, and I'm saying yes to Jesus. And many of them are married, have amazing families, but they wouldn't say that, oh, all of a sudden now I have different gender attraction. No, it's like it's still a struggle, but I'm not agreeing with it. So I just wanted to clarify that for a minute. Uh, I did get a good feedback after last week, and so I just want to uh, clarify that. Now, what I will also say is I'm definitely not an expert in this topic, especially if you want to get into all of the nuances, especially if you're like wanting to reach a postmodern world. I'm just not the guy. I've just clarified that. I'm like pretty black and white. It's like, let, let's go. Repent. Let's go follow Jesus. But that's not where all of you are at. <laughs> okay. Some of you really want to talk this through and think this through. So I have a bunch of resources for you. Here you go. And there's also people within this church that are probably better to dialogue about this. There's some, so take a picture of this. If you didn't last week, it has a couple really helpful um, podcasts and a couple really, really helpful books that really get into more of the nuances and how do you address a culture that believes something totally different than what the Bible says about sexuality. So take a picture of that if you want. Then it could be really helpful. All right, let's get into this week. You guys ready? All right, so through this series, I have kind of broken down into three weeks. Last week was, um, when it comes to sexuality, we, we need to, it's really about a, a submission. And there's three areas. One is submitting our mind. Two is submitting our eyes. And three is submitting our body. So last week was much more like I'm submitting my mind. A lot of people's takeaway last week is when I put the Bible on my head. Do you guys remember that? After the service, I got multiple pictures of you taking pictures of me with the Bible on my head. It's hilarious. Um, what I meant by this was I am going to let the Bible tell me how to think about life, about money, about my marriage, about raising my kids, about how, what I do with my time, and specifically about sexuality. I want to submit my mind to his word. I'm not going to tell the Bible what I want it to say about these different areas. So it was this invitation and, and cry to our church, hey, let's be a people that submit our mind, the way that we think, 
about certain things. Let's submit it to the Word of God. So this morning, we're going to talk about submitting our eyes. Everybody say eyes. Submitting our eyes. Okay, I'm going to break that down to what I mean in just a second, but I felt led to share my testimony, uh, really the testimony of me coming out of a lot of sexual brokenness. And so it'll be sensitive and uh, detailed. And so if you have kids in the room, just uh, be prepared to talk to them afterwards. I'll try to be conscious of that as well. But uh, I do want to be clear because my hope is that as I share and testify that it, it brings a level of understanding and it levels the playing field. I know I'm up here preaching about this, but guys, I was in so much sexual brokenness, so much sin, so much bondage, and Jesus rescued me. And I just, I, I don't want you to sit here and think that, oh, he's got the guy that figured it all out. No, I was probably in a worse place than you are right now. And uh, the Lord rescued me. But I also want you to hear my testimony because it gives a little context of how I'm going to give you guys an invitation or how I'm going to call you into this area. I was so lost in it. Let me just tell you where I'm going. The only way out is radical repentance. And I'm going to probably be intense at some point, (laughs) but I want you to know it's from a place of I know how dark this can be, and I was there. And the only way out is radical repentance. But let me just tell you a little bit of my story. Um, so I grew up going to church, but I was not a believer until I was about 17. Did not understand the gospel until I was about 17, but I was church, so I knew a little bit about God. And, and um, let me fast forward to eighth grade. Um, this is when this journey really, start, really started kind of snowballing. Uh, probably between, you know, birth and eighth grade, I probably did a couple things that were just curious because that's what little kids do with their bodies or whatever, but it was particularly remember about eighth grade there was some junior high boys joking inappropriately about masturbation I didn't even know really what that word meant at that time but they were joking about it and I was curious soon after that maybe it was the same year or next year I was at a friend's house and I was introduced to pornography for the first time they showed me and thought it was funny or whatever but you know though it might have been funny in this in the moment what it did to me was it just hooked me on the inside and I quickly started running to masturbation and pornography um, very consistently because it felt good and because I was finding some sort of relief or comfort in that. Now, again, I did not know Jesus when this started, and it was probably about four-ish years um, that I was in this sin, and it progressively got worse and more perverse, disturbing fantasy. I was getting more deceptive and more dishonest, and I was hiding it more and more, mainly from my parents or from others. Inside, I was trapped, absolutely trapped, and it was dark, and it was affecting so many areas of my life, and the point of me explaining that to you guys in that way is because this sin and this area of sexual brokenness is not innocent. It has an, like the sin itself has an agenda, and it is to destroy you, and it's to ensnare you, and it's to keep you trapped in shame and bondage, and it, will, and it wants to affect every area of your life. But here's the turning point. About four or so years in, I was a junior in high school, um, four or so years into the mess of my sexual sin that was getting darker and darker, I met Jesus. Okay, what that looked like really simply was my girlfriend at the time uh, brought me to church, and I heard the gospel really clearly. Again, I'd been to church, but I heard the gospel really, really clearly 
felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit inside, knew I needed Jesus, needed saving, and it was one of those like, hey, raise your hand, pray this prayer, and come down the front. And I did. And thank, I mean, some of you like that setting, some of you don't, but it worked for me. <laughs> okay, I really gave my life to the Lord. And, um, and but, but I want you to hear something. That day, I was in the thick of sexual brokenness. And you know what Jesus did? He welcomed me. He embraced me. He took me just like I was, and he didn't condemn me. And in fact, I didn't really have a real conversation with the Lord about this issue for a couple months. He was just, just wooing me to himself. Just read my word. Just think about me more. Just pray. And I just love, I want you to hear this because no matter where you are, Jesus would embrace you. And he will walk with you very patiently. And so he started walking with me um, through the word of God, through getting involved in community, op- start learning to open my life up to others. And, and uh, he started, a couple of months into my journey, he started convicting me and prompting me in this area of lust and impurity, pornography, and masturbation, started convicting me like, this is not, this is not my way. I'm not taking you this way, Mitchell. I'm taking you somewhere else. And, you know, it's funny. Just the Lord just does it in whatever creative ways. Literally, the, I remember standing in the foyer of the church I got saved at, and these two high, uh, high school guys that were a little bit older than me that I respected, they were in the youth group, and they just, like, I, they said joke, another joke about masturbation. And the way they joked about it felt different than the eighth grade boys. They were joked about it because they knew it was sin. And I was like, I re- literally remember on the inside of me of like, oh, that's sin? Crap. <laughs> I do that a lot. <laughs> that was literally my, my initial reaction. Like, what am I going to do? I follow Jesus now. Okay? And my understanding from just a little bit of reading the Bible is that Jesus wants us to repent from our sin, which means turn from it, which means stop doing it. And there was just something inside of me that's like, well, i got to figure out what direction I'm going to go. And um, so it started prompting me. I went through many ups and downs of... Um, kind of like compromise, I'll say. There were some major breakthroughs pretty soon after that. All the pornography that I had in my house that was hard copy because I didn't have a smartphone at the time, I gathered it and I threw it away. That's a big step. Okay, but there was still some compromise of, well, if I'm not looking at something, I'm just thinking about something, you know, does it matter, you know, all this. And it's just ups and downs. And um, it was about four or five months into this journey with the Lord, the summer of 20, oh no, summer of 2005, that I got major, major, major breakthrough. And I think, so what happened was, I told you there's some steps along the way, threw away things, and I stopped doing it as much. It was less frequent. But listen, there's something that happened that I was convinced that Jesus could do more and just help me not sin as frequently. I was convinced that Jesus is either powerful over sin and can absolutely destroy it, or he's not worth following. Let me tell you, church, he can do more than just help you sin less frequently. He can set you free. He can deliver you from the bondage of the enemy forever. And some of you need to believe that because you've been told that it's just, it's okay if this stays in my life forever. Just, okay, as long as I'm not doing it every, you know, it's like, and now, of course, there's all sorts of this weird, disgusting monster of shame and confusion and condemnation and all this self-hatred. I just, I understand. It's a mess. I was there. But I want you to hear me say very clearly, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And what does free indeed mean? It's 
really free. It's completely, it's, it's victorious and free from these um, bondages. And so there was something about this. This was an important part of my life because I wouldn't say I, would, I was believing that, but I got to this frustrated place in my life where it's like, Jesus, aren't, like, aren't you more powerful than this? Temptation, this urge of my body, the lust of my eyes. And um, I remember getting in this really desperate moment. This is the uh, end of the summer of 2005, and I was about very tempted to choose this sin again. And I remember looking up at the ceiling of my room, my parents' house, shouting. I, I guess nobody was home, <laughs> but uh, whatever. I just remember just like, God, how could I ever be free of this? This feels so strong. God, help. And I don't know what happened right there. I, what, I, what I do know is no angel showed up in my room. <laughs> but something broke. And I, again, I don't even know what happened in that right after that moment. But what, started, what I started realizing is weeks and months went by, and I was overcoming the temptations I used to feel. I was just saying no. I was just saying no. And in fact, oftentimes it was less tempting because I'm like, no. I want something else. And he led me to radical repentance, which is the only way out. And he started replacing this lust of my eyes and of my body with a desire that far outweighed that. And it was a desire for Jesus. And that's what we're going to get into today. So I share my testimony with you guys to let you know I've been in the mess, but Jesus can rescue you. Get desperate. Believe the truth that Jesus can set you free and deliver you from wherever you're at. And then move forward in radical repentance. <clears throat> so, Lord, I just pray that you would fill us with faith this morning. Fill us with faith that you are a powerful God. You can do so much more, Jesus, than just help us sin less frequently. You can deliver. And you can save. And you can rescue. So, Lord, do it in us wherever we find ourselves today. Do it in us, Lord, for your glory, for our good, for our freedom, for our health, for the health of our current marriages, future marriages, current children, future children. And for the sake of this generation that's so far from you, Lord, do a mighty work in your people in this room, all over Northwest Arkansas, your church around the world, Lord. Do a mighty work. Purify your bride, Lord. Deliver us from this monster and this bondage, this demonic stronghold of sexual sin and brokenness. And Lord, lead us into freedom. There is victory in you, Jesus. There is no mountain that you can't conquer and can't move. So we ask you to do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for bearing with me in my testimony. Let's talk about submitting our eyes. Submitting our eyes. So what do I mean by eyes? Okay, there is literally your, like what you choose to look at with your eyes. Okay, I do mean that. We will talk about that. What I also mean is maybe like your mind's eye or what you set your mind and your attention on and what you, or maybe your imagination. Okay, the Bible talks about eyes, but it can, it seems like it's talking more than just your physical eyes, what you're looking at. It's like this, where are you setting yourself? And then lastly, it's kind of similar, but it's like what are you looking to or going to for help, for comfort, for pleasure? 
So the Bible uses the word eyes in all of those different kind of ways. What are we actually looking at? What are we setting our mind on? And what are we running to or going to or looking to to find comfort and pleasure? Okay? So we're going to give you a lot of eyes verses this morning. Okay? Now, I told you throughout this series, I'm not going to be putting the actual scriptures on the screen. I wanted you to bring your own uh, Bible. Uh, but I will put the references on the screen for you guys to jot down and look at later. The reason I'm doing that is because I want to just train you guys to not just take my word for it. Literally, I can ask Mason to type anything and it'll pop up on the screen. Okay? Now, thankfully, we don't change scripture around here. But I just want you to know, like, I want you to find it in your own Bible. It's really helpful for you guys. So go to Luke 11. And I'm going to be going fast through these verses. So you're going to have to flip fast. Or you can just write down the references to go look at later. And I actually encourage you to go look at these later. So Luke 11. I see some of you guys are here. Some of you guys turn in there. If you're at Luke 11, say, I'm there. Great. If you're not there, say, hold on. All right. Great. <laughs> All right. Luke 11, 34, 36. Look what Jesus says about the eyes. This is, this is intense, but really, really helpful. This is kind of what I'm forming the entire message on, this, this strong statement about the eyes. Jesus said, these are the words of Jesus. It says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful. Everybody say, be careful. Lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright. As when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Let me say that phrase again. He said, therefore, be careful. Now, let me just comment on that. When you hear the word be careful, I always just think about, like, every time I left the house or left my room, my mom said, be careful, <laughs> you know, or some version of that. <laughs> like, still, to this day, if we leave my parents' house, which my mom might be watching or listening to this later. Hi, mom. But anyways, uh, it's like still, we like leave her parent, my parents' house, and I'm 35 years old, about to be 36, and she's like, hey, you know, on that intersection, just make sure you look both ways because their cars come from both ways. Be careful. I appreciate the care and concern, but it's a little bit less like that when Jesus is saying be careful. It's not necessarily uh, fear-based, but he's like, he's pretty much saying, like, pay close attention. Take this very seriously. Be very diligent. Be very diligent. Not lightly. Be very diligent so that the light in you is not darkness. Be very diligent to make sure that what you're setting your eyes on, remember the three different facets of eyes, remember what you're setting that on, be careful, be diligent, and what you're setting your mind on, what you're practically looking at, what you're going to, to make sure that it's leading to light inside of you and not darkness. And he goes on to say, what, what I could sum up in a different phrase that you're more familiar with where Jesus says, hey, we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth, light of the world. He's like, because this affects how, how um, light and bright you are or how salty you are. Okay? And it's similar to Psalm 34, verse 5, where it says this, those who look to him, look to the Lord, are radiant, and their faces will never be covered with shame. It's amazing. Those who look to the Lord are radiant, and they'll never be covered with shame. All right, so in submitting our eyes, there's two things we must do, and I'm trying to make it really simple for us, but in submitting our eyes, we need to turn away 
and we need to turn to. So in the submitting of our eyes, we need to turn away from certain things, and then we need to turn to certain things. All right? So let me, this, this, the, the end of my message here is going to be breaking down these two things, hopefully giving you some uh, practicals, but also some just insight into this. So turning away, Psalm 119, verse 37, uh, uh, David says this, says, turn my eyes away, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. So we need to turn away from certain things, and then we need to turn to. So let's talk about turning away. David says it, turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things. There's kind of two things I want you to consider when you're thinking about what to turn away from. Okay, and these two words hopefully will make sense. One is commitment, and one is repentance. Okay, everybody say commitment. Okay, again, this is the category of turning away from certain things. Did you guys know that the Lord, in his creation of us, he has allowed us the ability to choose things. He has allowed us the ability to make decisions. He has allowed us the ability, by his grace, to commit to different things. He's even given you the grace to follow through on certain things. Some of us are great at commitments, but not as good at the follow through. Okay, I understand. But there is enough grace from God to commit to certain things and to be faithful to those things. <clears throat> Psalm, Psalm 101, verse 3 um, says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. It's very similar to Psalm 119. David's like, hey, listen, I am setting a commitment. This is what I'm giving my life to. Or one of the commitments of my life is I'm not going to set before my eyes anything that is worthless. This past summer, we did Summer in the Psalms, and Tima preached on Psalm 101, did an excellent job talking this through thoroughly. I encourage you guys to go back and listen to that podcast. Uh, it's from August. Um, but then even Job 31.1, some of you are familiar with this. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I look at a young woman? I made a covenant with my eyes. So I want to submit to you, again, God has given you the ability to choose and to commit to certain things. And so in the topic of sex, sexual wholeness and purity, and specifically your eyes, are there any commitments that you want to make before the Lord? That by his grace you can walk out. But what is, and what I mean by that is what are the prayers you're praying? Like, what are these scriptures that you can declare over yourself? You can wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I give you my eyes. Today, I'm not going to look at anything that's worthless. Or, Lord, give me grace to turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. There's a prayer you're praying or a declaration you're making. You can go back to that Luke 11 verse and say, Lord, my eye is a lamp of my body. Lord, I commit by your grace to look at things that lead to light on the inside of me. Is this making sense? So what are the prayers you're praying? What are the declarations that you are uh, making? What truths and scriptures are you speaking over yourself? It's a commitment that you're making to turn away from darkness. And, you know, doing something like a media fast is a great, uh, obviously, example of, all right, I'm going to, Lord, I commit. I'm going to turn away. Just five days, I'm going to turn away from all my social media. I'm just not going to look at it right now, okay? I'm like, it's like Lord, by your grace, I'm going to turn away, and I want to set my eyes more on you. Another part of this commitment is not just what are the prayers you're praying or scriptures you're declaring, but who are you saying, hey, I'm making this commitment, you hold me accountable. So in a sense, who are you committing to or who are you asking to commit to you? Does this make sense? And, and let me give you a, a few thoughts on accountability. Like You need others fighting with you in every battle, specifically the battle of walking in sexual purity. You need people fighting with you. And, and fighting for your 
total victory. You don't want people that are going to help you compromise. You're not going to want people that are going to say, hey, calm down, man. It's okay. We all choose this sometimes. It's like you need people that are full of God's mercy and grace and will always accept you but aren't going to just let you stay in your sin. You need people to say, hey, I love you. I'm for you. I forgive you. God forgives you. Man, I hope you know that God loves you. But let's get up. <laughs> what are we going to do different now? What's going to change this week? And let's run somewhere else. And no, I'm not going to let you compromise to believe it. Because, guys, when you get into the thick of this sin, there's this monster of this web of lies and fears and doubts, it's very easy to come up with, with conclusions that are absolutely not biblical, such as, I am going to struggle with masturbation and pornography the rest of my life. That is a conclusion that many guys come to. It's going to be in my life at some point for the rest of my life. And that is not, I'm just going to submit to you, it's not a biblical conclusion. Okay? Though you might feel tempted, I have I felt tempted in this area, but there is victory in Jesus. And we want to be careful to humbly, like, it is a humble victory. It is a victory that I didn't do myself. It is a victory that comes from the Lord, and every day I still need to get on my face and say, God, I need you. I need you in my thought life. Sometimes I have weeks where it's just a lot it's a lot of temptation or thoughts, and I'm like texting people. I'm asking my wife, pray for me, okay? We got to get in the fight sometimes. But it doesn't mean just because I'm tempted, I have to give in. I have to choose this, okay? There's an amazing scripture, and you might want to write this down. It's not going to be on here. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Amazing promise that says, like, don't be discouraged that you're tempted in certain ways because so many people are tempted in that way as well. But then it says, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can endure, but will always provide a way of escape, a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So there I talked about commitment, accountability. And let me talk about repentance for a minute. Repentance. Everybody say repentance. Repentance. Everybody love that word? No, you don't. <laughs> I want you to love it. I think the Lord wants us to love it. You know one of the first messages Jesus preached? Repent. Then he put the mic down and walked away to a different city. I mean, not exactly, but I mean, it looks like it. Read the first couple chapters of each of the Gospels. His first message was repent. <clears throat> okay, let me explain what repentance means. There are so many elements of repentance, but... Let me say it this way on purpose, though there's a, I'm sure there's better definitions out there. What I mean by repentance is radical change, dramatic change. I'm going this way. I am literally turning the other way, and I'm going this way. Radical change. If you don't believe me that, uh, especially in the context of lust or sexual brokenness, that radical change doesn't need to be in the equation. Let me read the lovely words of Jesus from Matthew 5, 27 through 30. This is the, you can turn there if you want, Matthew 5, 27, 30. Sermon on the Mount passage, okay, the Matthew 5, 6, 7, pretty familiar passage, one of the longest quote-unquote sermons Jesus gave, <clears throat> and he's just beckoning us to live in a different kingdom, and he's addressing so many different norms in the culture. But what he's doing is he's just taking everything up a notch. <laughs> and he's like, you've heard it said, don't do this, but here's what I mean. Take it a thousand steps further. <laughs> 
you've heard that, you know, don't do this on the outside. He's saying, hey, I want you to take it a thousand steps deeper on the inside of you. Okay, Matthew 5, 27 to 30. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he clarifies what's the sin here. But then look at his lovely pastoral care response of what to do next. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Smiley face. For it is better. <laughs> Bible doesn't have a smiley face. <clears throat> but if I was texting someone, I probably would put a smiley face after that. Which actually I have. A couple of you guys. Anyways. Um, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. I just want to leave you intentionally with the words of Jesus. You wrestle this through. Okay, I'm not going to give you a teaching on the doctrine of hell, but I, I want this to land with you guys. Jesus clarified something, and he said, here's an appropriate response. Now, let me just comment. Literally, do I think some of you should come back next week with an eye patch? No. <laughs> okay, this was supposed to be a joke. I'm serious. It's a joke. Serious joke. Don't do that. But I want you to, I think the message is clear. Sometimes it takes extreme measures to get sin out of our lives. And it's, and it's good. I just, I think of this story. I will not forget this story. This was from probably summer of 20, um, maybe 17 or 18, Engage the Crisis. Some of you guys were familiar with that. What year was that? 2017 maybe? There's this initiative that... Um, the Antioch movement participated in to go into, mainly it was Greece, but it was this Syrian refugee crisis. And uh, sent many teams over to this area to minister to refugees that were fleeing. And there were some of our core main uh, leaders in the Antioch movement that were over there, and they were partnering with this local pastor who was doing incredible work and caring for those that were in need, feeding them, meeting practical medical needs, but also praying for the sick, seeing God do miraculous things, sharing the gospel, so incredible. But there is one point in this little journey where this pastor kind of pulled some of our, the Antioch leaders aside and say, hey, I need you guys to come with me. So they hop in the car together. They go kind of on the, um, up towards a mountain or a cliff that was just looking over whatever sea is right there on Greece or next to Greece. Some of you would know. What sea is that? I don't know. Mediterranean, uh, something. Any geography teachers? Some, some of y'all teach this? <laughs> what is it? All right, all right, cool. Aegean or Mediterranean? <laughs> yeah, I knew, I knew that. Aegean. Who's the Aegean? Anyways, so they go up to this cliff and this mountain, and this pastor pulls these leaders aside, and they don't really know what's happening. And here's what he does. This pastor says, guys, this week has been incredible. The ministry that we've done has been so amazing. God is moving, but I need to tell you something. He pulls out his phone. This is killing me. I am stuck in sexual sin, and I don't know how to get out, and I need breakthrough, and I need you guys to hold me accountable. And you know what he does? He turns, and he throws his phone off the cliff into the sea. And they have this powerful moment with God together. This guy is weeping on his knees saying, Jesus, I need you. Help me. Deliver me. And these guys are ministering to him, praying for him. That man was different. 
after that moment. It was radical repentance. And I'm reminded of the story in Acts 19 where this, these people, I think it was in Ephesus maybe, that they were in witchcraft and then they heard the gospel, they knew Jesus was Lord, and they went to their houses, got all their witchcraft material and books, and they burned them. And it literally says that the sum of what they burned was worth 50,000 shekels of silver, which is a lot. <clears throat> the things that would bring about the most freedom in our life, sometimes we are not willing to do it because of how much it costs. And I just, I want, there's the parable of the rich young ruler. Some of you are familiar with this. He comes up to Jesus, what can I do to get eternal, to get eternal life, to be saved? And he goes through all the different commandments and, and, and he's responding, yeah, I've done all that. And then Jesus says, hey, go sell all your possessions and come follow me. And the guy walks away sad. The very thing that was trapping him, he was not willing to give up. Listen, some of you, the most freeing thing you can do this morning is turn your phone off, bring it up here, and leave it there. And don't ask me or Larry what we're going to do with it. I don't know. <laughs> it, but it would feel holy. I would take that very seriously. And I'm not kidding. If some of you are willing to do that, you will, be, you will leave here changed. But you know that this is destroying you. Because every night it's by your bed and you keep scrolling and you keep falling. And there's freedom. You don't have to do that, but you need to do something radical. Go to the store, change it in, get the dumbest phone you could find. <laughs> not a smartphone. All right, but guys, not done yet. This is hopefully convicting, helpful, inspiring, whatever words you want to use. But this is, this is, I would even say, less than half of the message, less than half of the process of victory in this area with our eyes. We do need to turn away, but if we do not actively turn to, I'll say, someone else, then we are not going to be filling that void of the things that we're leaving behind. Okay, so let's talk about what are we turning to. Guys, the, this is the glory of the true biblical life. This is not just a list of things that we don't do. I'm going to say that again. The glory of the true walk with Jesus is that it's not just a list of a bunch of things we don't do. The glorious, infinite, beautiful creator invites us in to know him really deeply. That is glorious. He invites us in to be struck with his magnificence and his beauty he draws us in to say guys i spoke the world into existence come to me and you're going to find out that i'm a really big deal i think one of the greatest tragedies in the church in this generation is that our christian walk consists oftentimes mainly just of facts about god and religious routines and yet we are lacking in genuine real encounters and experiences with the living god he's alive He's alive. We don't want to base. Now, our faith has a lot to do with facts. It has a lot to do with going, like, being consistent in different healthy practices, of course. But, guys, God is either real or he's not. He's either alive or he's not. He's either present. When we close our eyes and sing to him, he's here with us. Like he said, I'm always with you. Or when two or three gather in my name, there I am. He's either here or not. When you're talking to him, you're not just talking to your ceiling. He's a living God. He's alive and he's real. 
And so here is what my, my invitation is, is let's go deeper with understanding his vastness and his beauty and his glory. So in short, here's what we're turning to. We're turning away from a bunch of worthless things and sin, making a few commitments, getting some accountability, and having radical change and repentance. But here's what we're turning to. The beauty and the glory of Jesus. That's how I want to say it, okay? The beauty and the glory of Jesus. That's what we're turning to. Psalm 27.4 is a great passage that explains this. David's like, he had a lot of things, but he said, One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. And that beautiful, it's just, this is one thing I want. This, David was really rich, leading an, an entire nation. But he says, there's one thing I want more than anything else. I want to be in God's house. I want to be in his presence. And I want to gaze upon, I want to look upon his beauty and his glory. And I want to talk with him. It reminds me of Ephesians 1, 17 through 19, which is a great prayer. I kind of dove into this in college and prayed it over myself and some of my friends. But it's this amazing prayer in Ephesians 1. And it says this, Paul's praying for this church. It's a group of believers. And he says, this reason, because I heard of your faith and your love toward Jesus and all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering your my prayers. Here's what his prayer is. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Everybody say wisdom and revelation. So the Holy Spirit gives wisdom and revelation in our hearts and our spirits, in the knowledge of who Jesus is. Verse 18 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, there it is, the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. That is action-packed with a lot of stuff. The main thing I want you to see is, man, this is a great prayer to pray over yourself. It's one of the biggest prayers I prayed over us this morning and over our church is that we would have, the Holy Spirit would come and touch us. This is a supernatural work. It's like hard to describe to you. This is a work of God's Spirit on the inside of you. Okay, it's not something I can do for you. It's not something your friend can do for you. This is something that the Holy Spirit miraculously does on the inside of you, and he just makes Jesus look and feel so much bigger than what you currently think he is. I shared this testimony earlier, but a sophomore year of college, I had this amazing experience at his prayer and worship gathering where I just was, I fell on my knees, and it was, it was this moment of just, oh my goodness, like this revelation of how glorious Jesus was. I was just, my eyes were closed, and I was thinking about all these phrases about the who, who Jesus is that I find in Scripture. You're the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. You're glorious. You're going to shine like the sun. Your eyes are like a flame of fire, and I'm just picturing this in my eyes and meeting with God, and it marked me. After that moment, I remember talking to my Christian friends. I don't think I knew Beth at the time yet, but this was like a year before I met Beth. I would go to all my friends, and we would love Jesus. We did prayer meetings together, and I said, guys, Jesus is a much bigger deal than we think he is. They're all just kind of like nodded their head like, that's a true statement, but why are you so worked up about this? And I was like, I'm serious. He's huge. He's amazing. Like anybody that encounters Jesus, especially the resurrected Jesus in the Bible, falls on their face like they're dead because he's so glorious. And guys, I want you to start praying for that. Lord, show me who you are, your glory. When he comes again in person soon, we're going to be in awe. But he invites us right now to have little moments and glimpses of how glorious he is. And I want us to be struck with awe over and over again. Now, how do we do this? How do we get in these places of getting undone by his beauty? Is I mean, some practical things that's not 
too crazy, but you need to get into settings where you're putting yourself before the Lord. A casual, like, you know, one minute Devo before I run off to the rest of my day where I'm on my phone for hours and I'm just interacting with people and I don't have any engagement with the Lord. Like, you're probably not going to have this amazing revelation of his beauty. He can interrupt anything. Praise God. Yes, he, he has his sovereign power to do that. But there is this principle of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. If we're sowing in the spirit, we're going to reap life. Galatians 6 talks about this. But here's a couple different things, just places or settings that you can put yourself to experience more of the glory and the beauty of Jesus. And it's really simple. I'll start with W, okay? In the place of worship, in the place of reading the word of God, and in the place of waiting. So there's some, you can take a picture of that or write down those references if you want. But in the place of worship, Psalm 63, Jeremy Riddle came out with a great song called Psalm 63 recently. Just put that on repeat. Uh, but what David is saying in that psalm is, like, I came into your sanctuary and I beheld your power and your glory. It was in that place of worship that he got more revelation of who God was. In the, in the word of God, Psalm 119 is a great place to just camp out if you're wanting to have just the Lord open your eyes in a fresh way. Um, I just, uh, let me say, pick one of those. I think it's verse 15, no, verse 18. He says in Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law or out of your word. Oh, like that's a great prayer to pray right before you read the Bible. Lord, I'm about to read the Bible. I'm about to read Genesis. Okay, I'm about to read. I mean, this in the thick of Genesis, Lord, would you open my eyes to see wonderful things right now through your word? And who knows what God might do. And then also the place of waiting. This really speaks to, you know, what are we going to? Are we willing to wait for God in the midst of our stresses, in the, in the midst of our frustrations? Psalm 123 talks a lot about this. It's like, Lord, to you I lift my eyes. As the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters and the eyes of maidservants to the hand of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. So we just, we just wait and we just keep waiting and we look. And sometimes, he, boom, he shows up. He meets our needs. He comes in power and he reveals himself in a fresh way. So, Ben, go ahead and come on up. We're going to have a few minutes here to respond to the Lord and, and think about a few questions. And then I'm going to read one more um, verse over us. And then we will close with worship. Most likely, we're going to um, extend worship for a little bit if you want to stick around longer. Um, parents, you can get your kids really whenever you want to. But if you want to just take a few minutes to respond with you and the Lord to these questions, I'll put them on the screen. I think that could be helpful first. And you can go grab your kids and then come in here and worship with us. But we're going to turn away from certain things, and we're going to turn to Jesus. Now, I know the time that I spent talking about turning away was more than the time I spent turning to, but the answer is Jesus. He's infinite. Forever you will be experiencing and exploring the depths of the beauty and the glory of who he is. And I can't give that to you in one second. I can't give that to you in 10 minutes, but we have the rest of our life to discover who he is. Amen? Amen. All right, so why don't you pull out your journal if you have one, pull out your notes app if you um, want to, but there's three questions I'm going to put up here on the screen that I want you to take seriously before the Lord, and then we'll have a time to respond in prayer um, and worship, all right? So the three questions are, um, God, what do I need to radically turn away from? And then Jesus, how do I need to radically turn to your glory and your beauty? And then take a minute to process with God what the media fast um, can look like and, and uh, for you this week, okay? Let me pray. Lord, I'm asking right now, Holy Spirit, you would come and speak to us as we process uh, these things in Jesus' name.